The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Nah, man, you see how good I look? Nothing signifies that more than a pinch hitter winning a the game. They shouldn't have played the old Golden Blue. Not this night. Yes, sir. Not this night. We don't pay attention to what happens, what goes on, on the outside. We just do our job. Welcome to Panhandle Sports Live, the premier home for all things sport in the Eastern Panhandle. He's across midfield. He's into the open field. Touchdown, Martinsburg. Towards the pylon. Touchdown, Washington. Hear from the coaches and players that make the Eastern Panhandle the place for sports in the state of West Virginia. This kid, he's got silver bullets. And it's a two-possession lead for the Appleman. Gets a high snap. Robinson trying to get to the outside. Makes a jerk move. Gets to the inside. Keyshawn Robinson. Touchdown, Cougars. Be a part of the conversation on today's show by texting at 304-263-4321. The throw not in time. Hedgesville's going to Charleston. Gavin Young puts the drive up 9-63-54. The Spring Mills Cardinals, 18-0 to finish the regular season. Now, live from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in historic Martinsburg. Get your popcorn ready. Panhandle Sports Live is on the air. And welcome into the Hoppy Kerchival Building. It is Panhandle Sports Live for this 21st day of November 2023. It's Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone hanging out with you. My goodness, if I ever get a hold of the person who had my headphone jack turned up so loud oh my goodness <laughs> parker stone i'm awake now i don't know about you yeah I, i'm feeling good this goodness morning. yeah i don't wake you up <laughs> i mean i was cooking over here with the volume that was getting shot through uh my cranium but anyway like one of those cartoons where the uh the hair sticks up and all the points when the uh, loud noise comes you that's exactly those? what it was like i mean my goodness we we're cooking with gas now here uh, on this uh, this this Tuesday morning, almost forgot what day it was as well. Well, we've got a lot to talk about over the course of today's show, and we're going to divert the majority of our attention to Shepherd football, kind of looking at the season in review. Coming up over our program, we're going to take a look at every position group on the field, kind of give some pseudo letter grades, talk about what the Rams have coming back next season, and kind of put to get uh, to bed what was a season of ups and downs for the Rams. But before we do that, we want to get to the busy sports news cycle that happened last night, and we'll start our attention with Monday Night Football uh, because this is a game that Philadelphia won. It was a game that both Parker and I thought Kansas City were favored. And the easy question to ask after this loss for Kansas City, Philadelphia clearly looking like the best team in the NFL, um, didn't have to do that much to win this game, but didn't make the mistakes that Kansas City did per se, is... Did Philadelphia win this game or did Kansas City lose it? Tremendous drop problem. Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Travis Kelsey did certainly not play his best game as a Chief. Um, you know, Is that a matter of the Eagles making the Chiefs uncomfortable, Parker Stone, or did Kansas City just really not come prepared to win? Kansas City needs to play better. I, I think that's what it boils down to. It's just their last three games, they have not scored any points in the second half, and that's got to change. And the finger of blame I am pointing at Matt Nagy, the offensive coordinator. That's his problem. So, I mean, well, he didn't cut the mustard when he was in Chicago as a head coach. He looks like he's not cutting the mustard as an offensive coordinator once again for Kansas City, which is funny because that's where he was and where he got hired from Chicago. So, he's not cutting the mustard as an offensive coordinator. There's not enough weapons for Patrick Mahomes to be successful, albeit outside of Travis Kelsey. Who do you have? You're playing with 
practice squad wide receivers. Justin Watson is your wide receiver one right now, and (laughs) he should not be a wide receiver one. No disrespect to Justin Watson, but he's not. Sky Moore has done much to nothing. Um, Marquez Valdez-Scantling continues to show why he will never be a good receiver because he always has had drop problems. Uh, I mean, Noah Gray is getting significant playing time as a second tight end on this offense. They, they got to invest more in wide receiver come this offseason. They got to, which is shocking because I don't know why they didn't try and make a deal for somebody at the deadline because they absolutely should have. I would have called and I would have given a first round pick for Mike Evans. That's what I would have done or called somebody who was struggling and deal for a pick to go get a wide receiver to try and help Patrick Mahomes because the play calling's not great. The weapons aren't great, albeit outside of Kelsey. And it's an Eagles defense that is not good this year. Their defense is not good. So it, this one's all on the Chiefs. They should have closed this one out. Well, some other things we want to talk about because, again, we're going to devolve uh, a significant amount of uh, our time today looking back at this year's Shepherd football season. The Mountaineer basketball team was in action last night. They dropped the game to the Mustangs of SMU, 70-58 uh, to 58 the final score. Uh, once again, Quinn Slazinski played at a pretty high level along with Jesse Edwards as this is one of the more dynamic and talented front courts that the Mountaineer basketball team has had in a couple of years. I'm not going to say anything crazy, especially since they're just 2-2. Two and two. Uh, And the rest of the team after that struggle, Seth Wilson looks as though he's a little bit more comfortable coming off the bench. Kobe Johnson returned back to earth. Josiah Harris is just clearly not where he needs to be to be a starter for a Power 5 team. And Afrinave is a year away. I mean, the guy's so small. He needs to have an offseason in a weight room. Uh, and then Pat Sumnick's just really not ready to compete at a high level either for this team that went seven deep because Bembry didn't even play. I mean, it just comes down to this, Parkerstone. This team's going to be run off the floor by any team that has any kind of significant talent. So, you know, what are the adjustments for that, you know, for Coach Heilert? Because you are going to get Kirk Kreese back. You're going to go up to nine. You hope that A. Cook, A. Cook is going to come back this season, but I don't think that's very likely. And then you have Raekwon Battles waiver, you know, transfer waiver uh, in doubt. And if West Virginia's luck changes, then we'll get Raekwon back. But I expect them to continue the same drought of unsuccess when it comes to petitioning the NCAA. So you're going to go up to nine people. Now, the Mountaineers have tried a 2-3 zone. The Mountaineers have tried to be delivered in the half court. They've tried to substitute as best as possible to keep fresh legs on the floor. But at the end of the day, it's hard to play a high level of collegiate basketball, especially a West Virginia defensive-minded brand of basketball with a seven-man rotation. So, you know, especially when some of those players aren't up to snuff at the Power 5 level. So, unfortunately, if they can't figure out a way to squeeze the absolute most out of this roster, we're going to have a lot of games like SMU, who, you know, in my opinion, aren't even an NCAA tournament team who just beat you by 12. I mean, when you're playing with seven deep, it's really hard to win basketball games at the Division One level, and that's really the reality of what's going on with WVU men's basketball right now. They, they don't have any depth, and it's going to – what's going to happen eventually is someone's going to get ran so much that they're going to get injured, and then this is going to become even a bigger problem than what it already is. So – I don't know what the next step is. They've got to get people cleared. They've got to get hopefully Raekwon Battle cleared through the waiver, which uh, that's an, that's another show for another day for me to go on how stupid and corrupt the NCAA is. But it's that's the problem is they have zero depth and it needs to be remedied in some form or fashion, or else this is this is just going to keep spiraling from what it already is right now. A team that's. I think right now they're not a team that's making the tournament. If you ask me today, I don't. Oh, they're think not they're even gonna, making the NIT. They're, yeah, they're barely scraping a spot, probably in the NIT. They're struggling right now to they 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 have to play guys a full forty minutes on the floor. 
And that's going to eventually, like I said, someone's going to get injured from all that mass of minutes played. And now you're really going to be in a world of hurt. So uh, they just got to find some depth. And I don't know what is the route to find that at this point. But a lot of a lot of a uh, I guess the best way to put it's a a tumultuous offseason has tumbled into the start of the regular season for WVU basketball. Yeah, certainly. In terms of other headlines, Angel Reese continues not to show up for the LSU women's basketball team. Kim Mulkey continues to be a crazy person. And the UConn men's basketball team has now won, what, 22 consecutive non-conference games. They were able to beat number 15th-ranked Texas yesterday in the uh, uh, Monday edition of the Empire Classic. So that's when number 22 and uh, according to ESPN Stats and Information, North Carolina had a 23 straight, uh, uh, I'm sorry, double-digit win is the, the, the part of that stat I was leaving out. Double-digit win over non-conference opponents. The uh, most recent successful stretch was North Carolina's 23 consecutive double-digit wins over non-conference opponents back in 08 and 09. Uh, so UConn has a chance to continue that streak, which thinks because I do not like Dan Hurley. Dan Hurley might be one of my least favorite coaches in the country, but, man, he's got UConn playing at a pretty high level. Anything else from a headline perspective we want to hit on before we take this first break? Purdue basketball is looking really good They right did now. look good. They I watched a, the end of the Gonzaga game last yeah, night. Yeah, they had a really good – they're looking like they're going to be a team that could probably make a deep run this year and kind of avenge the demons of what was being upset as a as a 1-16 matchup last year. I, I think Purdue's got a really good shot to make a deep run in the tournament. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment as well. Um, like I mentioned, coming up a little bit later on in our show, we're going to go offense, defense, special teams, all the way through um, the Shepherd football season, kind of give our grades and, and recap to the season. But one more thing I did want to mention, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, uh, Abby Beeman had a triple-double yesterday for Marshall. Uh, the Marshall women's basketball team scored 120 points in a win, and Abby Beeman at five foot four had a triple-double. So four games into the season for Marshall, she is averaging 18 points, just under eight rebounds a game and leads the team in assists. She's something else, isn't she? <laughs> She's a special talent, and it, it was special to see what she did in two years at Shepard and now is translating that to the Division One level at Marshall, and the play stayed the same. I know there was a lot of probably questions with Abby making that move saying – well, she's a smaller five foot four guard. Can she make that Division One transition? And she's done that, and then some. She's one of the best players on Marshall's team right now. So again, very encouraging and very awesome to see Abby Beeman once again putting up great numbers over in Huntington. Absolutely, we got a break to take. When we return, we'll start on offense as we recap the twenty twenty three season for the Shepherd Ram football team. You're listening to Panhandle Sports Live. Want to revisit an episode of Panhandle Sports Live? Follow the Panhandle News Network on Spotify today. Welcome back. Panhandle Sports Live here. Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone with you in the Hoppy Kirchville building here in Martinsburg, West Virginia. As we turn our attention to looking back at the entirety of the Shepherd Ram football season in the Rams that went 9-3. and three. In the final segment of the show, we'll kind of talk about the season in a broad strokes point. But uh, for this segment and the next, we're going to start on offense, go to defense, finish with special teams, and kind of our thoughts on the season. So Parker Stone, let's start up front with the boys in the trenches and the offensive line for Shepherd this year. You talk about what you have to replace um, and, you know, Joey Fisher's I think it's not unreasonable to call him one of the best, if not the best, uh, right tackles in the history of Shepard as a program, if not just offensive lineman, uh, and and replacing Adam Stilley as well in the center spot. James Bell comes in, performs incredibly well, friend of the program, by the way. Brandon Carr as well to accent Ty Lucas 
uh, Wyatt Pelicano and Chandler Brown, who returned from last season. Four of the five starters on this offensive line receive all-conference honors. Ironically, the one that didn't, Wyatt Pelicano, in my opinion, has an argument to be their strongest offensive lineman this year with the exception of Ty Lucas. I think Ty Lucas, far and away, was the best offensive lineman for Shepard this year. I had no complaints with the five starters, Curtis Jefferson as well, who came in both as a sub-offensive lineman and as a wingback late in the season, also performed incredibly well. So losing two of the best to ever do it in the program and for this team to run for as many yards as they did with a rebuilt backfield and for the most part keep Seth Morgan upright, you're looking at a B-plus or an A-minus grade for me for the boys in the trenches. I'm giving them an A. Yeah. I think they played really great down the stretch, and I know we had our questions before the season started of maybe how this offensive line was going to come together as a unit, losing two all-conference linemen and Fisher and Stilly. But, again, was really impressed. Ty Lucas, once again, is one of the best linemen in the PSAC, I think. He's fantastic at the guard spot. James Bell really stepped up and learned a lot, it seems, as being that sixth offensive lineman last year for Shepard and being a first-team selection at center. He had a fantastic season. Carr, I think, did fantastic. That's a big shadow to and big shoes to step in replacing Joey Fisher, and I think he did that very well. And then Chandler Brown and Pelicano on the left side did very, very well protecting Seth Morgan's blind side and really led a really strong rushing attack for Shepard this year. Really, in terms of negatives, I can only think of two. Um, with the exception of Curtis Jefferson, I don't know who the seventh lineman would be. So, I mean, I think they have good depth, and I'm always going to trust uh, Ernie McCook-led offensive line because he's a longtime offensive line coach. And number two, Shepard quarterbacks were sacked 23 times. So it's not the perfect number. You got out-sacked because as a team, what did they finish with? 16 sacks, I believe. Um, you know, that's, I guess, my biggest detractor away from the offensive line. But I agree, it's a unit that is coming back in its entirety and is going to be scary next season. The tight end position is a position that has really gone through a significant metamorphosis from a season ago when one of your top wide receivers, in terms of pass catchers, in terms of yardage, um, and Brian Walker is no longer on the team. And that offensive position kind of changes its role to more of a blocking role. We called on the Bash brothers, Dustin Fisher and Brian Jester, both of whom caught a touchdown pass. For what they did for their position, they're some of the best blocking tight ends in the conference. So that in that aspect, I would put them up as a B plus A minus again. The only thing I would say is, you know, it was hard at times this season to have multi tight end sets and knowing that neither of them were really much of a threat to catch a pass. So the position group as a whole, losing what they lost with Brian Walker, dings the grade a little bit down to a solid B for me, just because they weren't the same level of pass catcher for an offense for Shepard that was so middle of the field focused in 2022. But for their role, Fisher and Jester, I think, performed incredibly well, creating space for the offense. I give them a C plus. I think that, like you mentioned, their blocking was fantastic. But again, that when you see a double tight end set, 90% of the time it's going to a running back or it's going to be something out of there. There was not a lot of throwing to the tight ends this year for Shepard. These guys are mainly used as blockers. So that's potentially something I want to see maybe targeted in the portal or maybe targeted maybe a freshman to develop a pass-catching vertical threat tight end, I think is what Shepard needs to maybe add as an element to their offense like what they had in Brian Walker. But I think the blocking, again, tremendous. Just the receiving game, I want to see more of. So I, I averaged that out at around a C+. Yeah, you look individually at their stats. Brian Jester had nine catches in the touchdown, and Dustin Fisher had three catches in the touchdown and really didn't have any in the back half of the point, uh, season. So you're looking at two touchdowns and, and 12 receptions for Brian Walker, who himself had 63 catches, 799 yards, and five touchdowns. And obviously, it's it's hard to compare them to one of the best pass-catching tight ends that Shepard's ever had. He was the first-team All-American last exactly. year. Exactly. 
Um, the running back position is where we'll go to now. Malachi Brown, uh, Nazir Russell, and Jordan Barnett. You have to remember again what Shepard lost Ronnie Brown in the season that he had statistically a season ago, um, going just a uh, hundred yards short, uh, short, excuse me, of a two thousand yard season. Blake Hartman, who also ran for just under 400 yards, and Avon Hawley, who showed flashes of also being a very talented running back. So you completely rebuild that position. You convert Malachi Brown to running back, Jordan Barnett, as well as a converted linebacker, and Nazir Russell, who comes back from a season ago. And Shepard runs the ball pretty well. Last year, they averaged 6.3 yards per carry. This year on the ground, that number went down to 4.8, but there was some sack-adjusted yardage in there as well. The biggest thing against the running back position, I would say, is ball security. Uh, but Malachi rushing for over 1,100 yards is a godsend based on who they lost. I'm going to stick with a solid B for this position as well. And the two detractors for me, I mean, Jordan Barnett proved to be one of the most physical runners in the country. Malachi Brown was a special talent, especially at the end of the season. He pulled out some moves that we hadn't seen. That spin move against Lenore Ryan was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. The two things that ding this position for me are ball security and it's hard for me to figure out how Malachi Brown, as a converted wide receiver, didn't have a receiving touchdown the entire season. Mm. You know, he was a talented pass catcher for sure, but I would like to see them get a little bit more involved in that. The offense seemed to lose some dimensions, not throwing to tight ends and not necessarily having a deep threat out of the backfield like Ronnie Brown was on those wheel routes last year. So for me, again, this group had to replace a lot and did a lot and accomplished a lot for this team, but I'd bring that letter grade down to about a B. B for ball security is the way I like to go for it. So I, that's the only ding I have on it, really, was the ball security. Barnett was a great, great emergence in the second half of the season as the Thunder to Malachi Brown's lightning in the backfield. Those two have really good chemistry. Now my question is, there's got to be some more depth added in because we saw yesterday on social media, Nazir Russell and Henry Adiefe both have entered the transfer portal. So... Those guys, I'm assuming, are probably going to try and go somewhere else and get a little bit more playing time, and best of luck to both of them trying to do that. But now there's got to be some depth that's got to be added in the backfield behind Brown and Barnett. Yeah, certainly. The wide receiver position, we'll lastly look at it offense before we turn to the quarterback, of course, and take our first break of this segmented version of Shepard football letter grades. Can't talk this morning. The wide receiver position you know, was a little bit more star-studded last year by way of Marlon Cook. Um, he had a thousand yards receiving, but then it was a significant step down to Rodney Dorsey and Ryan Beach and Beach kind of came off of a really exceptional 2021 with a really kind of underwhelming 2022. This wide receiver room, I think was significantly better than it was in a season ago. Jeremiah Taylor and Barry Hill both performed as all conference wide receivers, I think to a very high level with Hill's speed and Taylor's big play ability and physical ability. Cordell Batten was just a perfect safety blanket, and as consistent as he was as a wide receiver, you'd forget that he was just a freshman, and it was awesome to see Cam Dorner as well. He and Jeremiah Taylor are built like Division I wide receivers. You know, Dorner's a little bit more slender, but they're big, they're fast, they're physical, they're good route runners. You know, you can line them up in the slot, you can move them outside the hash marks, outside the numbers. They can make contested catches for you as well. And we talked about this leaving the Lenore Ryan game. You know, Ethan Williams is a guy that's a former three-star recruit, Boston College. You know, he's got that pedigree, and he's so talented, but this wide receiver room was so talented that a guy like him struggled to find the field. Gabe Bigby is a freshman. Is somebody else, Marion Haley, is somebody else that could come in. Will Ennis are all guys that could perform at a pretty high level for just about any other team in the PSAC, but this position group is so talented, and they're so in good shape 
they run routes, uh, you know, as well in the fourth quarter as they do in the first quarter, that this position group gets a solid A, and I really want to give it an A+, but I'll hold off on that, um, uh, at least for the time being, by saying this was my favorite group of this Shepherd team. Coach McCook talked about building a wide receiver room like building a basketball team. You know, Jeremiah Taylor's your big guy in the middle. Cam Dorner and Cordell Batten are your athletic, versatile guys on the wing. Barry Hill's your tempo set. He's your point guard. He's your speed. He stirs the drink. And I love this position group, and I'm excited. I hope that you talk about the transfer portal, that the majority of the guys from this position group come back because they're going to be impossible to cover next season. Yeah, I think A as well is the way I'm leaning with this. Again, just the depth of this position group. Taylor was an all-conference selection in his first year with the Rams. Barry Hill was probably right on the borderline of being an all-conference selection. He really came on towards that middle part of the season and really stepped up as a big threat for this team down the field. We saw Cordell Batten have big moments. We saw Cam Dorner take over the first part of the season where he had he was the leading receiver in the conference for the first four weeks of the season, and he missed, I think, a game, too, in that point. He just had some dominant performances. And that's what's really special about this group. One guy can get hot, and then in the next week, or three weeks down the line, the next guy is going to get hot. And that same guy is going to have those targets and those eyes on the defense on that guy and then have another weapon. The the depth in the position is fantastic. And I'm with you. I think that's my favorite position group of this season. I'm going to give it an A. And lastly, the quarterback position on offense for Seth Morgan. You know, nobody wants to be the guy that takes over for the guy. And Seth Morgan has done that twice. First at VMI, and then he did it here at Shepard. Um, for the season, a 66% completion percentage, 2,970 yards, 24 touchdowns to 11 interceptions, showed a little bit of mobility, showed he's a guy that could be a leader. Uh, as this offense, again, went through its kind of a metamorphosis, the things I loved about what Seth Morgan did this year is, you know, it was hard for him to create short-term chemistry with Jeremiah Taylor and Barry Hill, but he did that incredibly well. You know, the, the, the detractors, I guess, against Seth Morgan, 11 interceptions, double-digit interceptions isn't something that we see often from Shepard quarterbacks. Um, you know, a couple of ducks in the Lenore Ryan game, it seemed as though in games that he was uncomfortable, you know, he wouldn't necessarily be able to take over the game per se. So I think for the season, and especially because I think he's going to come back and be one of the best quarterbacks at the Division II level in the nation next year, I'm going to give Seth Morgan a solid B with plenty of room for improvement. There's a lot he did that I liked and a lot he did that I think he can improve on in the offseason to make him even better next year. I'm giving him a B plus. I mean, he was the best quarterback in the Eastern Division in his first year transferring over, and for a guy who has to replace one of, if not the greatest pure passer from a statistical standpoint in the history of college football, then I, I think he did a fantastic job with that. It's It's hard to take over that spot knowing that Shepard fans have been spoiled with Tyson Bajan over the past four years, and I think Seth Morgan did more of a good job to hold down that position and make the right reads and make the right things. I know people maybe got a little trepidatious around the start of the season when you have close matchups with Southern Connecticut State and Edinburgh, but really he got more comfortable as the season went on in this offense and learned more and made better throws and better reads. But I'd say overall, I'd give Seth Morgan a B plus. He had a fantastic first year. And again, think about this: everybody's back on offense. Yeah. Entire offensive line, assuming we don't have anybody go portaling. Entire wide receiver room. Malachi's back. Jordan Barnett's back. Like you mentioned, you know, Shepard can do nothing but add to an already talented group of offensive players. You, you mentioned go out and get a vertical threat at tight end. Go out and get you know a more true running back in the backfield to be the number three guy and, and let these wide receivers. That's the thing. I mean, Cam Dorner. This is his first full year 
you know, being able to play in the program. Cordell Batten is just he's a first year player. That everybody's gonna get better. Malachi Brown's gonna develop as a runner. This team's gonna get even better, even if they don't add anybody going in the next season. Yeah, that's definitely the case. And I'm excited to see what is done in the offseason if they look to add a vertical threat tight end, if they want to add maybe another piece to the offensive line, maybe as a spell or recruit someone out of high school for that nature. The wide receiver room, I think is perfect the way it is. I think if everybody stays, it's good to go. And the quarterback room is completely fine right now too. I think that behind Seth are two really competent comp three. I mean, I think you put Sammy Ezra and Leck all on that list. Yeah. I I was leaning more Leck and uh, Sammy at this point. Ezra too is in that conversation. I think, especially since he's been redshirted this year. He's got another year for him. He's on a five-year plan, so he can really develop too. He's got some competent backups behind him. If something were to happen to step up and lead this team in the running back room as well, I think I just they just need depth. So those are my two positions that I'd like Shepard to target this offseason. Well, we got a break to take. When we return, we'll turn our attention to the defensive side of the ball, give our letter grades position by position. You're listening to Panhandle Sports Live. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Follow our socials for updates on live broadcasts of local games. Continuing our grades as we look back at this Shepherd football season, you can get involved, 304-263-4321, what your perspective is, uh, what position group you think was the best for Shepherd this year, and what position group you think can improve the most going into next season. Parker Stone, uh, we turn our attention now to the defensive side of the ball, and we'll start uh, as we did on offense up front. You look at this defensive line, and you you look at a combination of Muley, Baxter, Bednarski, Kalzer, Jason Robertson, Charles Dixon, Mike Forbes. Uh, as the season has gone on, this position group has gone through, I think, the biggest change of anybody, switching from a front four to a front three at times for much of the season, trying to be creative with how they got after the quarterback. This is a position group that I think I'm going to ding the most in my letter grade by giving them a solid C. I think there were a lot of really good athletes in this unit against the run, but I think the pass rush is something that when you look and saw what Shepard lost from last season and how they were able to replace somebody like Ronnie Brown to do what they can to replace Tyson Bajan, to do what they can to replace guys on the back end, Marlon Cook in the wide receiver room, I think that losing Kyle Smith and Malik Holloway was the biggest void that wasn't really able to be filled by this defense because Shepard had... Uh, just 19 sacks as a, as a team this year. Kyle Smith had 13 by himself last year. Shepard brought down opposing quarterbacks 32 times. That's a big difference, especially when you look at games like the Lenore Ryan game. Sean White, with enough time, was able to pick you apart and beat you. So this is a position group that I think is going to go through a change in the offseason the, to the tune of bringing in a couple more natural pass rushers. And again, I don't mean to be too harsh because there's really good athletes. I think Jack Baxter is one of the most criminally underrated defensive tackles. I think him and Bednarski at defensive tackle is one of the most criminally underrated tandems in the conference. Kevin Kowser and Nathan Mueller are going to get better. They're both good athletes, but I think you need to go out and add a couple of pure edge rushers and and so because of that, I'm going to give these guys a solid C. C minus for me. I I think they need to find an alpha of a pass rusher because no one established himself as that this season. There's guys who I think play really good roles on this team. I've mentioned you time and time before off the show. I think Nathan Muley is a perfect three technique sub package defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. I think that is the perfect role for him. He is the perfect size to do that. You get third and medium, third and long. You're going to be expecting a pass. You put Nathan Muley at defensive tackle and you let him go loose on the inside. I think that's the 
perfect, perfect role for him. And then you have guys on that line like Kowser who've showed some flashes. You've got Baxter and Begnarski, who I think did pretty good at the inside. But again, I think the defensive line is the biggest thing that maybe needs to be retooled in the offseason. I think they need just a big run-stuffing nose guard. I think it's what they had. They missed yeah, Solomon that. Alexander was a big one. Yeah, they missed that in Solo and Journey Dunbar last year. I think they need to find just a big three bills run-stuffing nose guard in the offseason as well. They got to find a dominant pass rusher of some sort of length. And there's a uh, there's a guy we talked about off the show too is potentially maybe one they want to target. This is maybe I don't know how the position flexibility is, but if you remember uh, Garrett Cox from Millersville, he was one of the leading pass rushers and sack getters in the conference this past year. He has entered into the transfer portal. He already ha- holds an offer from IUP right now. But it's a guy that I, I if, if I'm Shepard, I'm looking in to see what he can provide maybe as a pass rusher today because he would be a heck of a get for this Rams team to get a pass rusher who's shown with the Marauders that he can be a dominant alpha pass rusher. But I think this is what one of the biggest things that this team needs to get in the offseason. Find who your one is and build around that in the front four. The linebacker position for Shepard is also an interesting story this year. JT Kumeyao. Well, let me ask you this. Who do you think was Shepard's most talented linebacker from start to finish this year? You know, I'm going to say Harold O'Neill. Hmm. I, I think he really came on to the second half of the season as a consistent tackler. He was a leader on that defense. Uh, JT Kumiel's right there with me. Yeah, too. I was going to say JT. Yeah, but I, I think can't really answer this question incorrectly. Yeah, no, no, no. Definitely <laughs> not. And I know Dwayne Grantham struggled with injuries a little bit this year in his final season, but he still had a heck of a moments where he had impacts. Like in the Lockhaven game, he had that interception, led the team in tackles. All three of these guys are fantastic in their roles. Even like Cole Scott off the bench, too. I think he had some really good flashes at linebacker and reserve spots this past year. But I'd say for as strong as he came on in the second half, I would say slight edge to Harold. Harold O'Neill over JT Kumeyao. You know, and it's a good point that you bring that up because Harold O'Neill, another argument to say that he was Shepard's most talented linebacker, to your point, is you look at Dwayne Grantham, and you mentioned the injuries is a big part of it as well. He was Shepard's best defensive player last year, in my opinion. I don't think it was particularly Mm. close, maybe with the exception of Kyle Smith. And Dwayne took a pretty significant step back this year because of injuries partly, and it wasn't because of his own performance. It's because they had to keep Harold O'Neill on the field. He was taking tackles away from Dwayne Grantham because he's just as good of a ball hawk. So I think you're absolutely right. And then you throw Amari Terry into this position as well. This linebacking core for me, I will go to my grave saying that it's the most talented unit in the piece. I think wide receiver and linebacker are where Shepard has significant advantage over the other teams in the conference. With that said, did they perform up to the highest level that they're capable of? I don't necessarily think so. I'm going to give them a solid A- and also say that with this group coming back next year, uh, with the exception of Grantham, obviously, I mean, there's a chance for this to be an incredibly scary unit again. You know, I want to have an A-plus grade for this team next year or this position group next year because they have the ability to do it. But for the time being, I'm going to give them a solid A- minus. Uh, and be excited for the possibilities that they bring to the table next year. That's where I sit, too. I was on that B-plus, A-minus line. I think I was trending more towards an A-minus. I think really what they've done together was great this season, and you see Kumeyao, who's a solid downfield tackler. He's a thumper. You have Amari Terry, who had some really impactful moments. He really stepped into the money backer spot and did really good in that role this past season as well, as you had Grantham, who still flashed that amazing star potential and that star energy that he brought from last year's team and as well as Harold O'Neill who really stepped into the role 
I think I think on the fence, I'd say A minus. But now you got to figure out who's going to be take that step. Is Cole Scott going to be that third linebacker on the field? Are they going to go more to a four two five? Interested to see how they turn next year. Um, hang on one second. We've got some uh, some breaking news in the NFL. I was going to try to pull up some victorious music. Uh, the Steelers just fired Matt Canada. Did they really? <laughs> oh my! God. Well, this just derailed the show. This just derailed the show. We're. Uh, it's it's a celebration. Throw on cool in the game. That's, we, that's what I was. Yeah, throw on cool in the game. This is a uh, this is a celebratory, which means I don't have to trade Kenny Pickett now. This is great. Hey, this is this is where it's at, man. I mean, I'm I'm excited. You wanna you want a muffin? I got a muffin in here for you. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, we got a we got a sli- slight detour in the Shepherd grades. Hey, it's a good time. This is for you, Steeler fans. Here we go. <laughs> Grab them off in here. See, I'm gonna wrap it for you. The great ASMR from Parker Stone. There you right go. Now. It's a good muffin. <laughs> Let's go. Congratulations, Steeler fans. The worst offensive coordinator in the history of football. Finally. Will right. it take 12 weeks? <laughs> Jeez. Where were we? Uh, the secondary for Shepard. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the reaction to Matt Canada if we have time later on in the show. Uh, the secondary is where we're going to finish today's conversation. Um, you know, big losses without having Cordell Batten. Big loss by not having Dante Harrison for about half of the season. Christian McDowell, I guess I'll extend to you the same question that I asked the linebacking core. In your opinion, who was Shepard's best defensive back this year? Best defensive back? You know... I think there's two choices. Like the linebacker position, I think there's really two choices. I would say Christian McDowell is the way I lean as that because he had to be asked to do a lot this season. Came in, really stepped into that safety spot. Of course, his secondary loses Keyshawn Haley, who was one of the best defenders on that team last year. Clayton Batten was out the entire year. Again, we we don't 100% know that situation on his end. I think he should be cleared for next offseason, but – and then you have Dante Harrison, who was out for, I'd say, around half or a little over half of the season due to the injury he suffered against Lockhaven in October. So for Christian McDowell to start the season at safety, play well, and then be asked to move to corner and lead this team in interceptions, I would give it to Christian McDowell for the ability for him to make that transition midseason. Yeah, I would agree with that sentiment. I mean, there's so many things that I love about this secondary of players that are just going to continue to get better. Uh, along with Christian McDowell and Neilio Pena, who I think are really established players on this side of the ball, Naeem Alexander's coming back was just a sophomore this year. Singleton was a sophomore. Adamas was a sophomore. Mujahid Johnson was a redshirt freshman. And, uh, of course, Miles Greer, uh, one of my favorite players on this team, is a true freshman. This is a position group that, for this season, they got diced up by some pretty big name-wide receivers. Don't get me wrong. So for that, the letter grade's going to start with a B. I think I'm going to give them a solid B. But again, everybody has the ability to come back from this unit, and you know that Shepard's going to be willing to go out and get a guy or two in the transfer portal. This is an athletic secondary that's trying to figure out where they want to be schematically. Saw a lot of cover four from Shepard later in the second half of the season. Um, and I'd like to see a little bit more man-to-man that we saw last year with guys like Batten. If he's able to come back next season, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but again, I think a solid B for this group. If people ask, and you talk about the differences between Division One and Division Two, and this might be a controversial statement. You know, there's a big difference in the talent between the West Virginia Mountaineers and the Shepherd Rams. But where there are similarities, there are a few. And one of those, I think, is the speed in the second level. Shepherd has Division One speed in their secondary. 
They just need, you know, to develop in coverage, to develop in awareness. And this could also be, be a, a very scary unit of the defense. And again, I'm optimistic for the future of this position group with the pieces that are coming back. Uh, but still some things to, to knock that letter grade down to a B. Yeah, I think so. I'd teeter towards a B minus is where I would put it. There was just some moments, especially in the last few games of the season, where the secondary got a little exposing. It's Mercyhurst, and we saw some moments where this team weren't able to keep up with the athletes that Lenore Ryan had at the receiver. The Cal game. Oh, my god. The Cal game. Also, Eric Willis had the best game of his career against this secondary in week two. Now, the question bears to this. Is this more on the secondary or is it more on the pass rush not right. being able to get home? And I think those two go hand in hand, and that is where Shepard needs to be hunting the most in recruiting this offseason and into the transfer portal. They need an alpha pass rusher really, really bad, and they maybe need to sure up maybe one or two alphas in that secondary. Because, again, we, we've had our – again, going back to our conversations we've had outside of the show, we're interested to see how this secondary unit – if we think who all comes back, comes back, how they're going to reshuffle some things because you have let Clayton Batten, who we expect to be back next year, was I think he was their best corner last Did year. Did I say Cordell? I meant to say Clayton. You know what I mean. Yeah, Clayton yeah, Batten, yeah. yeah. One, one of the Batten brothers. <laughs> the, the one on defense. Clayton. Yeah, so if Clayton comes back, he was their best shutdown corner last year. Mm-hmm. So we expect him to go to that left side corner spot. Dante Harrison, I would expect him to get re-solidified as that other outside corner. But you also have competition from Naeem Alexander, who played really good, I think, this year as well, who I think could be a fantastic nickel if they want to go to three corners. You've also got the safety positions, McDowell and Greer. Do we expect those two to be back in that position? Does Anilio Pena stay at safety? Do we? I, I would love Anilio Pena to move back to that rover or moneybacker spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought he excelled really good at that. Last and I year. wouldn't be against seeing Shepard work out of that three-three-five and play Pena as a true nickel either. Yeah. And I think that between him and Alexander, you've got two of the best, you know, smaller nickel defensive backs in the conference. And then you've got an absolute smorgasbord of guys you can run at that rover spot between Pena. Omari Terry and Mujahid Johnson. Um, that is as good as it gets as a three-man rotation of guys. If an injury were to occur, if you want to get another guy in, if you want to go to, if you want to go really physical against a team, put Amari Terry out as another linebacker to the outside. You could run almost like a five-two set and really try and stop teams in the run game. There's lots of really cool things that this defense can do if they want to explore some different routes. But I think really finding who your guys would be, and again, it's a young secondary, it's a young core with, I mean, we saw Derek Adamas get some really good playing time, and I thought he played the best against Eric Willis against Cal early in the season. Naeem Alexander took another step up this season. You've got Gianni Gamble, who had his moments last year where he showed some flashes. This secondary, I think, young, but also needs to improve a little bit more. And again, this could go hand-in-hand with the pass rush and like maybe they're not getting home in time. But I'd settle in at around B minus C plus range for them. All right, we've got no time left, and I feel bad because this is the position group that I think was by far the best for Shepard this year. Special teams, A plus, no doubt about it. 
Uh, in my opinion, you've got one of the best punters in in the PSAC and Ryan Barrick. Zach Fry, if he's not the best long snapper in the nation, regardless of Division One or Division Two, then I don't want to see the guy who is. Never a more consistent player than Zach Fry. Miles Greer is the best kick returner in the nation as far as I'm concerned. He's going to come back and he's going to be a problem. And James Bozick has really solidified. He missed one kick this year. He kicked the ball out of bounds a couple of times on kickoffs that – I'm not going to nitpick. You know, Coach Wright has done an unbelievable job with special teams. A plus, no doubt about it. Easy Flip A+. the field, steal first down on kick returns, returns for touchdowns. This group was money. Easy A plus for me again. Dorner did what? Dorner and Brown both did really good in the return game as well with Miles Greer. Barrick, I think, was an absolute snub all, on the All PSAC first and second team. I think he was one of the best punters in the conference. And like you mentioned, Bozick really took that step and solidified himself as being the kicker for Shepard moving forward. So again, I, I'm at an A-plus as well. All right, Parker's Picks is next. We'll wrap it up after this. You're listening to Panhandle Sports Live. Can't get enough of Panhandle Sports? Head to panhandlenewsnetwork.com for articles on your favorite teams. Welcome back. It is Luke Wiggs hanging out with you here from the Hoppy Kirchville building and joining me as he always does in studio. Yeah, well, that's called beginner's luck. Luck, 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 Yeah, I like to call this my lock of the day. Prove it, it's never fails. Never failed once. All right, lock hit yesterday. Both bonus picks were unable to. Mahomes was able to get two passing touchdowns. Mahomes was under on his passing yards. Man, he was really under on his passing yards, too. 177. The line was 284.5, by the way. (laughs) And we were hoping for Pacheco to get into the end zone. He was unable to against the Eagles. So it is Tuesday, so we go back to hitting some three-pointers. It's Trey Tuesday time. Time to bring some thunder and see what we can cook up on this Tuesday in the world of the NBA. So we're going to look and see. I'm going with today's lock, and shout out to Dr. Generosity if you're listening right now. This one's for you, my man. We're going Tyrese Maxey as our lock. Over two and a half three-pointers made in this contest. I'm rolling with Maxey. He's playing some really good basketball right now. We're going to roll with Tyrese Maxey as our lock for the day. We're going to go with Trey Young getting his over on threes as well. That line is set at two and a half against the Pacers. I think he's going to be able to get three three-pointers three in that one. And we'll call it a three for three because we're going to go with Devin Booker going for two and a half over on threes against the Portland Trailblazers tonight. So Tyrese Maxey, our lock. Trey Young and Devin Booker all are going to get three three-pointers or more tonight in their matchups on Trey Tuesday. Oh, I'd clicked off because you know what? Doom. You had given me an opportunity since you mentioned the Sixers. Hang on, let's play it one more time. There we go. There we go. Since uh, si- since you brought up the Sixers, we're going to have some special outro music today. Um, just a couple of moments left in the show. As always, you can text us 304-263-4321. Uh, we are not going to have a live version of Panhandle Sports Live coming up this Thursday or Friday. So tomorrow is where we're going to scram or uh, cram in all of our predictions. NFL over the weekend, the first ever Black Friday game. That's going to be interesting. It is going to be interesting. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the Mountaineers um, coming up this Saturday. We'll also talk about, now I will make this programmer's note as well, uh, despite our best efforts, we're not going to be able to carry the Martinsburg and Huntington uh, semifinal game coming up this Saturday. Uh, but we'll tweet out the video link for it uh, on Facebook and YouTube. The, the, the folks down there, you heard from Woody Woodrum last week, they do a really good job. Uh, so you're going to be able to watch it from there. And then, of course, the Super 6 comes the next week. You're going to be yeah. able to hear every single state championship game right here on WEPM and WCST. And, oh, by the way, Parker Stone, you'll hear this in our sports cast throughout the rest of the day, but matinee basketball today. 
some uh, college uh, college hoops for the Shepherd men's and women's basketball team. The women are at home at the Butcher Center at 1 o'clock. The men are going to be action at uh, 3 o'clock. We're not carrying this game. Our first broadcast of Shepherd's basketball will come up this Sunday when the men take on Bowie State at 4 o'clock. Um, man, there's a bunch of stuff I want to break here at the end of the show. You're going to want to pay attention. Here's all I'll say to who is doing color in that game because it's going to be uh, interesting how that turns out over the next couple of weeks, to say the least. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be someone we're really excited about, <laughs> I think is the best way to close out that a, one. So a, it'll, a major acquisition for, yeah, this, we've, for, the, we, for the team. Yeah, we, we've uh, completed a trade deal, and <laughs> we've got a uh, – we our uh, our draft pick from three years ago has finally been called up, so we're uh, we're excited to see what he does in the big leagues. So we'll uh, you'll be able to hear that on Sunday at four. So that was a lot of information. We won't be able to do the high school game. We're not going to have a live show coming up on Thursday or Friday night. Our first broadcast of Shepherd basketball uh, will come up this Sunday at four p.m. If you missed any or part of today's show, we're going to post it a little bit later on in our Panhandle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. You're going to want to stay tuned for today's edition of Panhandle Live with myself and Clint Gage because off the top of the show, U.S. Senator Joe Manchin will join us, and that's going to be a fun conversation as always. Uh, but that's going to do it. Parker Stone mentioned the Sixers. It gave me an excuse to play this absolute banger. We'll talk to you tomorrow. WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here too.